Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Jason Lipschutz, and I am an associate editor and the Pop Shop blog editor of Billboard.com. Based in New York, on the other line, in Los Angeles, is the Taylor Lautner to my Harry Styles. Keith Caulfield, how's it going, Keith? I'm good, and I have a lot of abs, don't I? You do have a lot of abs. Is that what Taylor Lautner does? He just walks around saying, I have a lot of abs. I have a lot of abs and I'm a little bit wolfy. He's a little wolfy. So, Keith, full disclosure, <laughs> let's let's just start start this podcast with full disclosure. Um, well, first of all, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about Taylor Swift today. It's like a T, an all-T-Swift podcast we have planned for the Pop Shop podcast this week. We're going to be talking about... Uh, will 1989 sell a million copies in its first week? Uh, what we think of the album? What should the second single be? Uh, where Shake It Off is is going on the Hot 100, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But before we do that, we gotta be we gotta be honest with our our listeners. It's all about transparency here at Billboard with Jason and Keith. <laughs> it is all about transparency with Jason and, and Keith. Um, so let's so we're actually recording this on Thursday morning. We usually record on Wednesday afternoons and we're we recorded a pop shop podcast basically about the same thing, Taylor Swift, with uh my good friend Sam Lansky, who is the deputy culture editor for Time magazine. He's a great guy. He knows a ton about T Swift. He came in and unfortunately for some reason or another, the audio just got messed up. And we're going to play clips of Sam talking because it was so great to have him stop by. And, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry because it was a great discussion. And we'll have Sam back on the, on the podcast. We'll, and like I said, we'll, we'll play a couple clips of what he was talking about. But, um, yeah, the, for some reason or another, you know, we, we work in this, this crazy modern technological world. And sometimes technology it fails, fails us. us. <laughs> it's, like, it's basically like this is basically the beginning of Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. <laughs> <laughs> I like. We, we, I thought we, 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 if, if you heard the laughing, we actually have an audience. We have an in studio audience today too. We do have an in studio audience. Yeah, we have our producer John in here to make sure that the audio doesn't get screwed up again. I was like, John, you're not going anywhere. We're, 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 I was joking with Jason earlier. I'm just like, you know, it's kind of like if we, when we introduce Sam's clips, it's kind of like when NPR like throws it to Fallujah. I mean, you know, sometimes the audio quality isn't that good. On I know the phone it looks line. like he's under fire. It's like, but again, <laughs> I, I, so. Um, I'm sorry to Sam, and, and like I said, we'll have him back on the podcast. And I'm sorry to Keith because we're recording this before 7 a.m. his time in Los Angeles. It's fine. He's a, he's, you're a trooper, man. It's fine. I would rather I would rather I would rather do this than not. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So uh, so let's let's get started, man. So Taylor Swift, 1989. It came out on Monday, and it's been. T Swift mania. I said on national television earlier this week that it's Swiftober, and we are in the middle of it. We we so I mean the big news this week was that we talked on the podcast last week about how it's probably going to sell like seven hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand in its first week. I mean that was an early estimate. Now it looks like she's going to sell over a million. How how did this happen? I I mean the for- forecast just kept growing and growing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's actually kind of good that we recorded this on Thursday <laughs> in a way because keep it fresh. Well, because since we last talked, you know, yesterday morning, Wednesday, um the forecast was um like approach it was like going to be a million. And then it was like maybe going to be a little bit higher than that, but I didn't find out until later. And now I know that it's going; they're heading for 1.2 million. So I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. Like I guess a couple months ago, 
the original initial forecast, according to our retail editor, Ed Chrisman, who um, is is super in touch with the retail industry, um, he said that the initial forecast was actually 1.1 million, um, but that was downgraded to 750,000 um, like a month or so ago. So initially it was over a million, you know, based on her track record, because she's her last two albums have both started with more than a million. But then that was downgraded, you know, based upon the information they had at the time. And and what we talk about this, when we talk about forecasts, it's all coming from analysts and sales folks and people at record labels and distribution companies that look at how albums traditionally perform in their first week, how the first single's doing, you know, YouTube views of the single, how much radio exposure they have, um, how many pre-orders they have from places like iTunes and physical retailers, that sort of thing. So they take all that information and try to come up with a forecast. Anyway, it was downgraded to 750, and that was like two weeks ago. And then, um, like a week or so ago, it went up to like 800 to 900,000, and then. On Monday, it was like, hey, we're going to go 900 plus, and then it became a million, and then it became a million point one, and then now it's like 1.2 million on Thursday morning. And I've asked to see if there's a new update. <laughs> uh, I haven't got one yet. So right now, as we record this, it's still 1.2 million, but it is kind of nuts how it continues to grow in its forecast and how now it's threatening the first week sales of Red because her last album, Red, started with 1.21 million. And that was also the last album to sell a million copies in a week. Wow. So, again, so it looks like, it looks kind of, I mean, again, we have a couple of days to go. It looks like it's more and more of a lock that it's going to pass the million mark. I mean, if, it, if the estimate now is around 1.2, it, it's, it's looked like almost a sure thing that it's going to cross the million. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I mean, if you want me to dive more into the, the, the lurid sticks of sales forecasting, um, on its first day alone, it sold more than 600,000 copies. Wow. Just on Monday. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, I don't think people realize that, you know, you, you think about a million copies over a week, you figure that it's going to be split up seven ways uh, equally. But then, I mean, obviously, if you think about it, the, the release day is going to have a bigger, a bigger gain. But wow, 600,000 in, in its first day. Yeah, um, you know, and a lot of that were you know pre-orders from iTunes that were fulfilled for True. fulfilled because so because it actually set um, the U.S. iTunes pre-order record, um, which I had Apple confirm to me yesterday. So that's another big news bit that I didn't have yesterday, and now I do have. So again, it's good that we did this on Thursday. In a yeah. Um, no, Apple confirmed to me that it uh, Taylor Swift broke their U.S. iTunes pre-order record, the previous record was set by One Direction's Midnight Memories, which sold, uh, which had a pre-order number of 195,000 copies. Now, um, uh, neither Taylor's record label, Big Machine Records, nor Apple would disclose to me how many pre-orders it had at iTunes, but therefore we know it's more than 195,000. Um, so 600,000 first day, most of those sales are coming from Target and from iTunes. And um, that kind of makes sense because so many, there's, you know, so many digital buyers buy their music from iTunes, and Target is the only uh, retailer that has an exclusive version of the album with extra content, um, and so that's really driving gotta a lot that, of sales. Got to get that deluxe version. There's there's three bonus tracks as well as three. Um, like uh, audio memos that she gave to herself that were sort of uh, bits of, of things like lyrics and melodies that would later become songs. So you can sort of hear her sort of songwriting process through these bonus tracks. Yeah. So, I, I mean, why do people care so much, Keith, between uh, about the difference between selling 900,000 copies and selling a million copies? Like, is this all about feeling better about the state of the music industry is it just kind of like a cool thing to be like yeah a million like a million is a cooler number than nine hundred thousand. basically yeah is, <laughs> so it's just this, it's, it's just kind of like a, a sexier headline yeah I'm, i mean it's it's a to to sort of get super sales geeky i mean the idea is that a million is such a huge round number it's much sexier than 999,000 um, and 999. And it's kind of like, you know, when a movie 
you know, hit a hundred million at the box office. That's yeah. cooler than ninety-eight million. It's just because it's big and there's ones and there's zeros. It's the same, th- and it's kind of the same reason why, when you think about it, whenever you see um, advertisements for you know things on sale, be it Coca-Cola or a new car or anything in the marketplace, the number will be seven ninety-nine, seven ninety-eight, nine ninety-nine, ninety-nine. It's never that. <laughs> No, I'm. Go- this is true. It, it's never the big round number. You don't see a car advertised for twenty thousand dollars. You see it offered for nineteen ninety nine. You know, it's just under that yeah. because that the perception is that is a low number because you're not. You don't have the big round number that it immediately clicks in your brain. Oh shoot, that's huge. I can't afford that. When really it's only like a dollar difference or like a hundred dollars difference. Of course you can afford it. So the same thing happens when we think about sort of numbers in terms of achievements with album sales, movies at the box office, how many books something, you know, whatever's been sold, it's always sexier to have the bigger number, even if that number is only one unit more than 999,999. That yeah. one million will always seem more impressive than one unit below it, even though it's only one unit away. Um, I like, this is like the economics lesson of the Pop Shop podcast. I like it. Well, it's I like, mean, the- take 999,000 Taylor Swift albums and then add it like in terms of sales theory. Yeah, I, lo- I love it, man. Thanks. Um, and that's also new to the podcast. I'm not rehashing this from yesterday. It's all new original <laughs> content that you would have never heard initially. Well, um, somehow we should we should have like. We Some should, sort of unlock the key to the lost Pop Shop podcast, like kind of like a Legends of the Hidden Temple thing. It, it's like, kind. Of, it's kind of like if you buy the <laughs> version of 1989 at Target, you get a special bonus edition that includes the podcast that you'll never totally hear. Oh my goodness! Mm. So, so speaking of iTunes, so as many have pointed out, 1989 is not available on Spotify. You cannot stream this album. So, is that uh, having a huge impact on this? massive first week of sales because or or is taylor swift just that big i mean i go back and forth with this thinking that yeah maybe people are compelled more people are compelled to buy the album because you can't stream it but then it's like well how many people are compelled to buy it like is that yeah what what do you think i think i mean i think it's i mean i think i think definitely spotify is playing into the first week because there are going to be those that have just heard about how like much promotion and hype the album is getting and thinking well geez i need to listen to this album but the only way that you can listen to it is by buying it it's not on i mean maybe it's on youtube but i think that people are trying to make sure that it's you can't find it on youtube yeah um and it's not on spotify and i I know that people have been um, taking down links from tumblr and other sharing sites um, trying to ensure that you know you you buy the album, you're fairly com- like Taylor's fairly compensated for this album. So I do think that the lack of streaming availability is helping sales. Otherwise, otherwise it would be on Spotify. You know, otherwise it would be on there. And clearly, it's not because her record label thinks that Spotify is cutting would, would cut into her streams. Now, I don't know if that's the case for every act that is on Big Machine Records or the Big Machine Label Group, which has people like Florida Georgia Line and, and, and other folks. I don't know if every single one of their titles has been removed from, from streaming services for the initial couple weeks that something's on sale. But this isn't the first time that we've seen an album withheld. Uh, Sam Smith's album, And the Lonely Hour, was not on Spotify when it came out initially. And a lot of people thought of the same idea, like, oh, they're trying to ensure that he has a big first week. Um, And and then he eventually later showed up on Spotify, you know, I think like a month or two later. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think Spotify, the lack of it is helping sales. I just don't know how much. Yeah, I mean, and it's impossible to tell. I'm just, it would be interesting to kind of find out how many people you know, raise their hand and say, I bought 1989 this first week because, you know, I wanted to hear the darn thing so much and I couldn't stream it on Spotify. I just, I just had to hear it. And, you know, you see that you see in the same effect with a couple of these, you know, big surprise releases where it's like the Beyonce album comes out in December. And part of the reason I think that it had such a huge sales impact the first couple weeks is because you had to listen to it on iTunes. You had to purchase it yeah. to get, especially because it was like a visual album with yeah, all exactly. the videos. You wanted to see the videos. Well, that's and that, then, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I was just going to add that, you know, if you look at something in a completely different vein, like Tom York, he just put out his new solo album 
And, you know, we don't have reported numbers, but BitTorrent, which was the exclusive home of it, claims it did really well because, you know, I'm a Tom York fan. I'm a Radiohead fan. And it was like, here, you can listen to this album for $5 and you right now and you're not going to be able to get it anywhere. And I, I paid the $5. Like, I wanted to hear this album. So, I mean, if you go back to Taylor Swift, maybe people are like, I have to hear this album. And yes, I will. I will pay the money that it that it takes to do so. I I have a, a, a theory on this, and and I've talked about this before in the podcast, where those that can actually convince consumers and fans to purchase an entire album have done so because they've been able to effectively communicate the idea of there being an experience to the album. There is more than just a track or tracks. It is more than just a hit single on the radio. It's more than just a cool video. It is about an entire process. It's about an entire experience. And they have been, they meaning Taylor and her team, have been very good at getting across the idea that 1989 is a concept album. It, it is reflective of the decade that Taylor was born in, which is the 1980s, she was born in December of 1989. It is reflective of her sort of new outlook on life and how that can be, you know, applied to people in general. If you read her introduction to the liner notes, it's it it kind of gives her manifesto to the direction of the album and how you know you know every day is a new day to her and she's sort of learning something new about herself every day and. You know, she never thought that she would cut her hair, and she never thought that she would move to New York, and she never thought that she would do all these things that she's done, and yet every day she's always learning something new about herself. And and I think that can be applied to a lot of her fans that think of Taylor less of a sort of distant superstar, but someone that's more of their friend, someone that they can relate to, and they can sort of sort of learn lessons from. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, so you have that core base that really feels invested. And then you have just the general public that has heard so much about Taylor, and they saw Shake It Off, and they saw the video, and they thought it was fun. And then they also hear these things about, oh, 1989, and ooh, it's a, it's a pop album? That's interesting. That's different for Taylor. Ooh, Out of the Woods, I heard that track on Good Morning America. That sounds good. They've heard nothing but good buzz, and they think, well, maybe... Maybe I'll listen to the whole thing. So you're getting core fans and casual fans to, to buy into something. And and I'll, and I'll try to trim this down, but the same thing can be said for Beyonce's album, where Beyonce created an experience, a visual album, where to fully properly experience it, you had to watch it. You had to watch basically a movie that had a soundtrack that was her album. And the same thing happened with you know David Bowie or Daft Punk, where... Um, the, the, something happens to convince people that you need to have the whole thing. And that's what's happening with Taylor. And that's why the number is so big. I totally agree. I totally agree. I I mean, we talk about how there are a lack of million selling albums now. And in terms of like the artists that can do it, Taylor Swift is about to become, if she, if 1989 does cross a million in, in its first week, she becomes, I guess, the f- the first artist to have three albums sell over a million in Correct. in the first week yeah. ever. She's There's already, only, she's how, already how many? First, yeah, how many? How many people have done it? Um, or how many albums have done it historically? Um, there have been a total of eighteen instances where there has been a million selling week. So 1989, if it does it, it'll be only the 19th album wow. to sell a million copies in a single week since SoundScan started uh, tracking sales in 1991 so that's a very long time and only 19 with 1989 only 19 albums will have done that feat and what's really important to get across and and we talk about this every week in the podcast is that album sales are in the dumpster no one buys albums anymore and somehow Taylor has been able to, not just because she's a superstar, because lots of people are superstars, but she's a superstar on a different level, a superstar that can actually convince people to want to buy a full album and spend money on it. And she's been able to do that. And that's how she's able to sell more than a million copies now for the third time in a row following Speak Now, Red, and now 1989. And this year alone, and and if you've read any of my stories online about the sales of this album, just in one week, she will have the... Uh, single largest week for an album since her own last album, Red, yeah. two years ago. She will have the biggest selling 
album released in 2014 after just one week. And let me explain that more clearly. No album released in 2014 in total over weeks and weeks and weeks and months of time has actually sold more than like 700 and something thousand. Coldplay's Ghost Stories is the biggest selling album released in 2014, and it has sold a whopping 741,000 copies. So Taylor Taylor almost passed that in a day. Yes, hit six hundred thousand in a day. Well, what what's what's in, oh my goodness. What, what's what's also crazy is that, um, and I I heard this I I heard a number which I will I can't say it because I wasn't a I, I I it was given to me sort of off the record and I haven't reported anywhere, but what I will say is I heard that her album did more in its first day just at iTunes than the single largest week for an album this yeah, year. Anywhere. Yeah. So so Coldplay's Ghost Stories actually has the biggest sales week of the year so far with three hundred and eighty three thousand. She sold more copies at iTunes allegedly just on Monday than Coldplay did in an entire week at all retail. Or Crazy. even if you just want to look at the six hundred thousand number, uh, she sold nearly twice as much as Coldplay did in the entire. Week. It's it's just nuts. Basically, basically what we're conveying is that Taylor Swift is a big deal. Yes, That's basically what we're sorry, conveying. but this no, is like so exciting it. to talk about like something that is just this is you know like the one time every two years we can talk about like you know or like a year ago when Beyonce came out like this is like the one time where we have something that is just it's like a shooting star. Yes. Yes. I mean, you, you say it kind of like, you know, sarcastically, perhaps, but it truly is. And I just wonder, does she think about this? Does she does she care about numbers? Is she like, is she concerned about this at all? Or does she sort of grasp like the idea? I mean, she must. I mean, she wrote that 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 Wall Street, was it Wall Street Journal, New York Times? Yeah. yeah. She wrote that that long Wall sort Street of, Journal, that op ed piece talking about how her music is art and art should be compensated for. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to pay for music. And you know that she's such she's so smart and she's so intelligent and yeah it's just it's just amazing where do you think so how how long do you think this album could stay at number 1 because you look at the release schedule one direction 4 comes out on november 17th do you think that it could just be at number 1 for the next couple of weeks well, is that the next biggest release? I don't actually have the release list in front of me. I'm looking at it quickly, trying to There's find a call, out. I mean, also Foo Fighters comes a week before that. Well, so that that might be a big one too. Yeah, I'm 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 looking really quick. So, um, the yeah, October 28th, not so much. After that, you get um, Foo Fighters on November 4th. Um, there's a new Pink Floyd, sort of a quasi new Pink Floyd album that week. Yeah, I don't yes. think it's gonna do that much. Um, week after that is One Direction. Um, and then after that, you have a new Nickelback album. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, rock and roll. So, I definitely think Taylor's going to be number one for at least, I'm going to say, three weeks. I don't think the Foos are going to get. I don't. I just based on how rock albums have sold this year, and based on their track record, I just don't think that they're going to be able to compete, even with Taylor's third week, um, because historically, Man, if we, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty nuts. Well, I mean, not really. I mean. Look, uh, Foo Fighters' last album, Wasting Light, which came out in 2011, so it's kind of a bit ago, it did 235,000 in its first week, and it hit number one. So if think of it that way. If we look at Taylor Swift's last album, Red, in its third week, and that's what the week that it'll be competing with the Foo Fighters, yep. Red did 197,000. So yes, Wasting Light had a bigger number than 197,000. However, with the sales the way they are this year, and Foo's last album was in 2011, which is an eternity ago when we talk about anything in terms of sales. I'm not sure that they can actually compete with Taylor's third week. Um, so, yeah, kind of sucky for them, but, you know, it is what it is. But I think One Direction we, probably will hit number one. I think that yeah. everyone's assuming that they're going to have like, you know, like 400,000, 500,000 type first week. I guess we'll see, man. Um so we we just went a, we just did a deep dive Sorry. on nineteen eighty nine. No, hey, that's what we're we're charts we're a charts based podcast, but we're also a pop based podcast. So let's let's talk about this album. Um, you know, let's let's actually <laughs> in Fallujah. <laughs> let's let's go to Fallujah with to Sam Lansky. Sam Lansky again. Um, like I said, Sam is the deputy culture editor for Time Magazine. 
and you know really like knows his stuff about Taylor Swift. He here here's a clip of him again from our you know um, lost Pop Shop podcast where he stopped in yesterday. Uh, here's him talking about experiencing the wonder of listening to this album. He went to one of the listening sessions actually at her apartment in New York. Um, apologies for the audio, but but check out Sam on the Pop Shop podcast. I didn't go as a uh, I, I I wasn't like you know one of the people that she stalked on Instagram or Twitter, and because I made very elaborate fan art or something, she invited me to the secret sessions. I went I went uh, kind of separately because I wanted to see the spectacle of yeah. the experience, and it was also I knew I was going to be writing about the album, so it was a great way to hear the album for the first time. Yeah, it was unbelievably cool. I mean, like, it was one of the most spectacular things I've ever witnessed, not just because Taylor Swift's apartment is obviously incredible, um, but also because the sheer, uh, like, intensity of the fan enthusiasm in that room, I mean, like, I felt like we were about to lift off and fly into space. Like, it was, everyone was so euphoric. The fans were so, so, so intense and so giddy just to be there. It was, it was really, really memorable. So I was actually on um, vacation when he was at Taylor Swift's apartment, and I was very jealous of him. I gotta say, man. Um, yeah, and and I don't know if if the the audio came, made it in there, but um, I was we, we I was I, yesterday when we were talking to Sam. I said, and by the way, Taylor has actually told Sam that he's a great writer, and then he corrected me. It's like actually, it was an intelligent writer. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, it was based on Taylor some, Swift is a Sam Lansky fan. It's it, true. It was actually, and and we didn't say why she said this, but um, he wrote something um, a number of years ago when he worked for um, MTV uh, Buzzworthy, the blog. Um, yep. He wrote um, sort of an op-ed piece about something, and I don't know what exactly it was, but it was sort of like in defense of Taylor Swift, and it was um, a, a really well-written piece because Sam is such a great writer, and um, he then uh, met. Taylor like backstage at a meet and greet and he was introduced to her as you know Sam oh I work and she's like oh I read your piece and like she actually had read it and and told him that he was an intelligent writer and and then they've actually had a number of encounters ever since like they've had they've like had a number of meet and greets backstage and you know he went to her house and stuff so that's why it's so important that we have his voice in the show even if it has really questionable audio quality Sam's living that life um but you know so let's let's actually uh play part of him talking about he he gave some great insight into he he loves 1989 and i will let him explain why again apologies for the audio we had to salvage this from yesterday but here is sam lansky talking about why he loves taylor swift's 1989 i think it's a statement and i've read a lot of a lot of critics and writers who have really smart things to say about you know the sort of absurdity of calling this her first official documented pop album when you know, by most accounts, Red was also a pop album, and there have been sort of shades of pop in her music for a really long time. I I guess, you know, I think what's interesting about this record is that it's a pop album in the way that people who love pop music talk about pop music, as opposed to a pop record in the way that, uh, that, like, the general public and mainstream consumers tend to think about pop music. Um, Like, for people who blog about pop, for people who are really excited about pop, Less so for the people who are in their car listening to Rude by Magic, but more so for the people who are, like, really stoked on the new Robin EP. This is a pop record for those people. And I'm definitely one of those people. And so I think for for the listeners and fans and critics who um, get really excited about that kind of pure pop sound in the way that the internet has sort of elevated that that style of pop, it's in that vein. And to me, that's really, really exciting. I also think that as a body of work, it's incredibly focused and cohesive in a way that none of her previous albums have been. Red, in particular, I think of as being a really kind of sprawling, messy, great, really yeah. brilliant. But, you know, she tried a lot of different things. You know, she worked from everyone... With everyone from Max Martin to, you know, Jeff Basker, you know, who, who yeah. works with Kanye. Like, there was a, a real sort of um, experimentalist and, and sort of curious bent in that album sonically 
and it, it sort of zigged and zagged. This one feels really um, clear as a sort of statement, sonically, creatively, artistically, and I think that's really impressive because I don't think that's something that we've heard from her. We've heard greatness from her before, creatively, musically, but I don't think we've heard anything this sort of focused. So Sam's a fan. What, what do you think of this album, Keith? You know, um, and to, to be fully, full disclosure... Um, I haven't listened to the entire album yet. I've listened to... What? I know. I know. All that talk about all the numbers and how passionate and stuff. I mean, I was reading her liner notes this morning. Uh, trust. I bought the album from iTunes. <laughs> I was... Uh, obviously, I mean, I didn't... We weren't serviced with a physical copy. I didn't get like a stream of it, like free or anything from her record label. Um, I even was talking to the record label uh, yesterday or the day before, and I was like, oh, I haven't got it yet. I need to buy it. They're like, oh, we can send you a copy. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to I wanna contribute. I want to I wanna, I wanna buy the album. I, I just haven't <laughs> bought it yet. Um, so I bought it, and I read... Um, uh, the the opening liner notes, which I thought it was such, it's so great, and you can sort of see the roadmap of where she's going with the album. But I listened to the first half, and it was funny. We were joking like a week ago about how Ryan Seacrest had listened to the album, and I was saying how he was just like going on and on about how every track is amazing, and you just like every everything sounds great. And I'm like, oh come on! Like I was just immediately dubious, and then I put on the album. I'm like. Wow, this is, uh, I like Welcome to New York. I don't know why people are talking about like it's like you know not great. I'm like, oh, I, I like this track too. Wow, this style, this is a great song. Ooh, I really love you know Blank Page. Man, Blank Page. This shoot, this is really good. And like the clicks of the pin and and it's like the turn of oh wait. And then we get to Out of the Woods. I'm like, geez, I thought Out of the Woods was like the standout track so far. No, wait, never mind. Like every song, <laughs> like every song was good. And like, okay, I don't. Like, this is one of those albums where you're like, okay, so far there are no clunkers, and I don't think there are going to be any clunkers on the album. Yeah. I it's I, I really like this album, and we and we talked about it yesterday, but I'll I'll reiterate because it was on the Lost Pop Shop yeah, podcast. But you reiterate it because it's not here today. <laughs> so. I mean, I really like this album. I don't think it's my favorite Taylor Swift album because, you know, I, I think my favorite thing about Taylor Swift is how much of her personality we get on each of her albums I, I mean my favorite taylor swift album and not just for its sound but just because of its lyrics in terms of the entire package is speak now which came out in 2010 i just think the songwriting on that is so crisp and, and so sharp and you get and so personal first a big budget mainstream album like that you know a, an album to sell a, over a million copies again in 2010 it's a really revealing album and it, you know you think of a song like Dear John and but coming you know leading right into a, a snappy pop anthem like Mean I, I so anyway going back to 1989 the songs on 1989 are just so breathtakingly impressive in terms of how they're written I mean she worked with Max Martin on a, on a bulk of this as, as well as Jack Antonoff and Ryan Tedder I, I mean the, it's this is a pro album this is an expertly made album I do feel like you don't get that kind of personality that you get on her past albums. And, and you know, as, as Sam pointed out yesterday, Red is, is a little bit of a mess in terms of its sprawl and the different sounds it covers. Do you think that was because they were trying to, like, please country audiences and pop audiences? And yeah, I think serve, so, but I, different... I, also think it, I, I also think it's just, like, that's where she was. I think that, and I think that 1989 is where she is now. I think Red is, like, the sound of her wanting to try different things and saying, you know what, I, st- I still want to write these, these uh, you know, slower... I don't want to say ballads. I don't know what the right word for begin again is, but you know, you have a, a song like acoustically driven like that. Right. And then you have 22, which is this bright pop song. And then you have state of grace, which is kind of like this arena rock song. I, I think it's her wanting to try different things. And I really respect that album. There was a great thing. Sorry. So, um, I'll interrupt you. And it, but I'm, I'm helping you here. I'm helping, I'm not <laughs> helping you. You know what I mean? Um, I'm I piggybacking you on what you're saying. Um, th- there was something that she said, um, in an interview, it might have been in the Billboard interview, I don't know, where she, like a couple years ago, when she was trying to like think of who she could work with in terms of songwriters, I think she was telling her label, or Scott Porchetta, which um, runs her label, like, oh, I'd love to work with Max Martin. 
And Max Martin has done, you know, a bajillion pop songs for everyone from Britney and Backstreet and NSYNC to, you know, you name it. And they're like, well, why don't you? And she's like, I can. Like, I mean, she, I don't know who <laughs> told her that she couldn't, but she was like, I didn't think that I could. And I didn't think that that would be okay. And I mean, it seemed like there was this hesitance to yeah. work with Max Martin because of how she had perhaps defined herself and how she felt that she fit within sort of her artistry and the music world. And and then so she did um, on the last album, um, I, I want to say both the first two singles um, we are never ever getting back together, and uh, I knew you were trouble. The first two pop singles were both Max Martin productions, yeah, right? Yeah, they were. They were. Um, there were other singles that were sent for like country radio, like Red and uh, Twenty Two. I don't know if those were Max Martin songs. Um, but so then she, you know, she clearly blossomed from that. Um, yeah. and she refers to when people ask her like, "What is your favorite song from Red?" She says like, "There's no question. It's I knew you were trouble. Like, there's no like done. That's it." And if you've already said, like, no, there's no question, that's my favorite song, and, you know, I've always wanted to work with Max Martin, you already kind of know what direction you're going in. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so there... I guess my point... Yeah. I guess my point is that, like I said, these songs are so great. I mean, I listened to a song like Bad Blood, and it's just... It's such a fun song. It's, It's just so expertly made and handled and produced and written and everything. It it just kind of has this this shine to it. I do think that a song like that could have been sung by someone else though. And that I guess that's my point. It's not it's not that it's more it's not that this album is more anonymous. I just think that it's it's a little bit less Personal. Taylor Swift personalized. It's more universal. I mean, exactly. It's a, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you listen to Bad Blood, like I said, it's a great song. Could you picture Avril Lavigne singing that song? I could. I mean, I could. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just think that that's one of the things I like most about some of her earlier stuff is that, you know, a song like Dear John, a song like even a song like Mine, like I just could not picture anyone else singing that as well as her. You know, I'm okay with the concept of of an, uh, a song being universal and something that is actually could be sung by, you know, other people. But I get the idea of how you want something to be unique and identifiable with that artist. So I can I can get it from both sides where it's just like you want something to be universal, but you don't want it to be so anonymous where it just seems like, oh, this is a Rihanna track. Um Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And oh And again, and I'm and I'm high listen, I I, I say this critically, but I'm I'm high I'm very high on nineteen eighty nine. I've been listening to it all week. I just think maybe, you know, personally that's it's one of my one of one of my bugaboos, I guess I I, could, I should call it. You know what's interesting, um, and 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 I and I just had this thought a little while ago, and I think it's sort of important. Um, I haven't, I, I've really enjoyed Taylor Swift, um, in general because I feel that she's such a magnetic personality and she's super smart. But I've never really been super invested in her music, to be perfectly honest. Um, I've enjoyed lots fair. of singles. Like I really loved Love Story. I loved I knew you were trouble. I mean, I like singles here and there, but I never really got into an album. Um, I never really, and, and, and I'm a charts person. I'm not like Jason where I'm an editorial person. So, <laughs> I mean, cause people, people may misunderstand. They assume like, I'm Oh, you must listen guy. to every album that's on the chart. I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, I do a lot of math and I do a lot of analysis, but I don't necessarily listen to complete albums like Jason does all the time. So what I'm trying to say is I'm more interested now in Taylor and I, and I'm going, and I'm obviously going to listen to 1989. I bought the, I bought the darn thing. Um, because I, I feel like I've made this, I've turned a corner for some reason. And the same thing happened with Britney Spears. And they're very, they're two very different artists. But I didn't really care about Britney really as a musical artist until the In the Zone album. Um, and yes, I know zone, there was yeah. a Madonna track on there. Yes, I know. But I feel like I don't even own the first three albums, but I own every one of the albums after that. Um, and I just, I just really became more interested in her. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just there, something clicked, and I suddenly became really interested in Britney as an album artist. And she's made amazing pop albums since then, um, except for the last one, which wasn't that great, but still Aww. it was okay. But so, the same thing happened with me with Taylor this time, and I don't know what it is. Sometimes something happens and clicks, and you just become a lot more interested in the artist. And she's been able to do that with me, and so that must be working with a lot more people too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Keith, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. Two quick questions before we do, uh, in terms of Taylor Swift, and then we'll get to your charts out of the week. 
well, Welcome to New York debuts on the Hot 100 this week in the 40s, I believe. Um, how many songs from 1989 could debut on the Hot 100 next week? Um, well, yes, you are correct. Welcome to New York actually debuts at number 48 on the Hot 100 this week. It is her 62nd chart entry on the Billboard Hot 100. Yes, 62 entries just since 2006. Um, well, in terms of how many singles can actually chart on the Hot 100 next week, just from the album sale or from track sales, quite a few. Um, you know, I suspect that, you know, we'll see probably maybe four, maybe four or five tracks from the album pop onto the chart next week that are not already existing hits. That's the same thing that happened with her last album. Uh, when Red came out, she had five additional tracks debut on the chart that week that were not previously on the chart. So I think at one point, and it was, I think, I think she might've had like seven or eight different songs on the chart at one time. So we could see, we could see, you know, eight different songs maybe from Taylor on the chart next week in addition, you know, with Shake It Off and Welcome to New York and Out of the Woods, and then maybe another four or five album cuts. Okay. And my, my last question for you What Are you is... eating something right now? Are, are we having audio issues again? No. Can you, oh. you can hear me, right? I, hey, I, can, I can hear you ruffling through some paperwork. Well, yeah, I have papers in front oh, of okay. me. Oh, okay. All right. I was just, <laughs> I was, I was almost clarifying just in case suddenly everything went south. I'm just telling I'm busy the audience because we can't record this again. This is it. That's true. Yeah. My, my last question, let, just very quickly, what, what should the next single be? Well, considering I didn't listen to the entire album, I'm not really good. What you've heard. That. Yeah. Um, well, you, uh, I mean, you have your favorites. Maybe, I mean, maybe just pulling out of the woods. I mean, it's resonated so well. Why not? But, you know. That's kind of like a dark horse move. Oh wait, I compared it to Katie. I did. That was bad. No, I say I, I say either bad blood or style. Mm-hmm. Give me give me either one of those on the radio. So, Keith, before we go, let's do it, man. Your charts out of the week. Okay, so our chart side of the week is actually not about Taylor Swift. Um, we're having a, 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 a Taylor Swift breather. It's actually about Enrique Iglesias. Um, Enrique Iglesias this week actually breaks the record for the most weeks at number one in history on Billboard's Hot Latin Songs chart. His song, Bailando, uh, spends its 26th week at number one this week. And I actually talked to Enrique on the phone this week, uh, actually on Wednesday morning, and uh, talked about the uh, record-breaking achievement uh, with him. And it was pretty cool to talk to him on the phone. He called in from his house in Miami, um, and he sounded a little bit groggy. I think he had probably, I don't know if he was getting away from a nap, but he sounded a little bit groggy at first, but he picks up halfway through. So it gets gets really good. So... um, Jason. Very cool. Let's listen. Let's listen to Keith talk to Enrique about his chart record on the Pop Shop Podcast. Hi, Keith. Hello, sir. How are you? How are you? Good? Um, I'm great, but you're even better because you know why I'm talking to you right now, I think. Has someone already told you what the big news today is about the charts and Bailando? And- yes, sir. When I woke up this morning, I was very happy. Well, congratulations. 26 weeks at number one on the Hot Latin Songs chart, the record for the longest-running number one in history on the chart. Uh, That's crazy. Uh, Did you ever think that the song would turn into what it's turned into? Um, Yeah, I love the song. The the song, to me, was always a special song, but you never really know. You don't know how successful a song is going to be. You... I have a tendency to always go with your gut and your instinct, and sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But um, this one just felt special. Clearly. And and the song, I mean, it, it had a really sort of interesting way that it came about. I mean, it was a song that you wrote a number of years ago, and then it, I think it leaked, and then it became sort of a, a regional hit in Cuba, and then you were like, whoa, we should record this. Is that kind of how the story, I mean, that's the really abbreviated version of the story, but it kind of took on no, a life of its own. Yeah. Is that, that's correct. About a year and a half ago, um, actually not, yeah, probably not two years, but more like not a year and a half ago, and um, we wrote it. It's, it, when when I recorded the song, it just, it made me 
it made me love what 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 music was. There's songs that uh, that change your 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 the way you view or the way you feel about music. Um, and I mean that in a positive way. And this is this was just one of those. Uh, when, when I recorded the song, when I made the, the video, everything just came together. And I was like, this is this is what I love to do. That's you know this this is the reason why why when I was 13, 14, 15, um, I love this. Yeah, it, it it must be it must be kind of like sort of affirming in a way that you know so so far into your career, like you have those moments where you find this song and it's just like one of those aha moments, like yes, this is why I do this and this is why this is such a great you know career that I have and such a beautiful song. Like it's great that you can still have those moments and songs that sort of drop out of the sky and turn into sort of phenomenons on their own, like Bailando. Definitely. I, mean, I think every moment you should strive to make it feel like that. Obviously, it's something that you cannot control. Um, but for me, Bailando, just when I look at uh, the songs that I've written throughout the years, um, songs like from my first single, Si Tu Te Vas, and then uh, songs like Heroes, songs like Escape, like I Like It, that Nunca uh, Te they're all so different, and, and, and to be able to add Bailando to it makes everything I've done eclectic and in a cool way. Yeah. And, you know, what's, what's, what's really interesting is how, this, you know, 15 years or so ago, you had your first sort of top 40 American English language hit with Bailamos. And now, 15 years later, you have a hit again with another dance song, Bailando. But this song, which is getting airplay on not just Latin stations, but also, you know, top 40 stations that predominantly play English, language songs, but now this song is actually sort of half Spanish. Well, I mean, originally it was all Spanish, and, and the one that Top 40 stations play is sort of half Spanish, half English. But it's interesting how far we've come where, you know, songs that can be sort of bilingual or, or mostly Spanish can be played across American radio stations, and it's totally normal, and it's totally embraced, and it's interesting how far that, you know, it, we've come, and you sort of helped start that, you know, back in the day, 15 years ago. Do you ever think about things like that? I think it's so cool how Latin culture has influenced is is has been so influential in the US. Um when when it comes on not just to music but to so many things. Uh, um it's for me this one is special because of that, because I feel that it, it joins um Latin culture and American culture, puts it together and it shows, you know, what what a lot of um People like myself, whether you want to call it second generation Hispanics or Hispanics that have been brought up in the U.S., it, it represents exactly what, what what we're about, and and that's what makes this one very very special. In and it's cool that I was able to translate it and still keep the essence and the spirit, and and be true uh, be truthful to the song without without really jeopardizing what I thought was the quality of what made it. Uh, uh, a special song. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned Bailamos and now we have Bailando. Is there another dance song coming? Because clearly it seems to work. Uh, is, is there another um, track that you're thinking of that um, I'm just kind of joking, but I mean, it seems like the, the, the dancing songs work for you. And, and I just wondered, you know, like, oh, let's do another Bailando type song in the future. But I don't know. It'd be cool. And the thing is, I wish I could. You can't you can't plan songs like that. That's that's, yeah. that's the the unfortunate thing about it that uh, when it comes down to to, to writing songs, and in this case I was able to collaborate with with December Bueno Gente Zona with Sean Paul. Uh, it's it, artists that come from different musical backgrounds and 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 put it all together and it worked. And but first and foremost, it all started with a song. Being able to write that song, that's something you can't. You know, you, you really can't, you don't control and you can't plan it. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But what I don't want to do is, um, I, I shouldn't, I, I've never tried to follow a, uh, follow a formula. I always just try to go with whatever song I feel is the best song and, and I go with my instinct. Whether it's yeah. up tempo, uh, whether it's more Latin, 
uh, leaning, whether it's more pop leaning, whether it's whatever it is, it, it truly, or more dance leaning, it doesn't matter. Like, ultimately for me, it's about the song. It's, yeah, it's, it's whatever, it's whatever moves you. It's whatever moves you as an artist. And there's no, people think that there's sometimes a formula to this, but there isn't. It's just whatever makes a great song and whatever resonates with you and what just sounds like it's great. And then if it moves you, then maybe it will move someone else. And clearly that's what happened with this single. Oh. Um, is, is, is there anything that I'm missing that you want to tell me that, that, that you want to make sure that, that we know about or we include regarding the song? I, I, I don't want to keep you on the phone forever, but I want to make sure that you tell no, me. No, it's cool. It's cool a lot. It, it all really, uh, just the reaction of the fans. Thank you to all my fans just uh, all around the U.S. for making this such, a, such, a, such an unbelievable uh, hit. Because uh, all... It really, you know, I just, I, I do my best and I try to, I was, I, I put so much enthusiasm into, into songs and songwriting and videos and everything, but ultimately it comes down to the fans and how they react to it. And if it wasn't for them, really the song wouldn't be the hit it's been. That's pretty cool, man. That's awesome that, I, I mean, by Londo, a massive hit. Half a year at number one on our Hot Latin Song chart. Incredible. Crazy. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Keith, for a very cool and Enrique-assisted Charts Out of the Week. All right, that's going to do it for us here at the Pop Shop Podcast. Thanks again to Sam Lansky for stopping by. And uh, apologies again for um, some of the audio stuff, but uh, I'm really glad we we got to settle down and, and do this all Taylor Swift Pop Shop Podcast, man. We'll be back next week with the final number of 1989. And again, like as I say, usually check out all of Keith's chart analysis on Billboard.com right now. We have a ton of Taylor Swift stuff on Billboard.com. If you want any anything to do with Taylor Swift, just go to Billboard.com right now. Go ahead. Um, Keith, do you have any parting words? Uh, the irony is that I think today's Pop Shop podcast is actually longer than the botched one from Wednesday. <laughs> Actually, that's fine. Like, hey, it, that's fine. You're getting more we'll, Taylor, we'll make actually. It up, making it up to people. Yeah. We're uh. giving you more. That's what we do. <laughs> Well, we are going to go out on, um, you know, one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs. Let's do uh, You Belong With Me, man. Let's do it. Um, Thanks again for listening and take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.